0: So every one of us has a fatal flaw, and that is to uh, live life as though we were the hero of our own story. And you know, in stories and movies, the fatal flaw is what brings dimension and interest to the story and to people's lives and crisis. We could use a little less of that, couldn't we? (laughs) It's not like uh, the fatal flaw brings interesting things into our lives. It does bring interesting things, but not in the way that we usually want it. And so this summer, this series, is to look at the characters that, that in the past have often been viewed in two-dimensional form, that they sweep in like superheroes in, in, uh, in gleaming strength, and they save the day. And we, we, we remember them from the past. We remember them from the flannel graphs of Sunday school, if you all remember that from ages ago. And uh, I don't even remember that. I only hear people reference it. But, but the, the, Old Testament, the view of the Old Testament figures that are just two-dimensional, as if they were the hero of the story, this summer looking at the ways, the moments in Old Testament figures' lives which point beyond them. And give us courage to look at those darker places, the, the place on the iceberg that's under the waterline, to understand ourselves more and to look at those places where our fatal flaw is creating all kinds of interesting things that we don't want. And how can we live in a way that points beyond us? We, we love uh, the Marvel uh, stories in our uh, in, in our family, you know, Marvel is just up the road. You know, all of the the new superhero stories are being filmed just uh, outside of Atlanta, and uh, and so we, we've enjoyed the resurgence of the superheroes, and the superheroes have more dimension to them. You hear you hear the backstory, you see more complexity to them. You know some of the personal lives of the actors as well, and that brings sort of some interest to it. Uh, They're not as one-dimensional or two-dimensional as they used to be. And so let's take a look this morning at one more uh, Old Testament figure and how he helps us understand how forgiveness sets us free. When I was was a kid, my brother had me convinced that if I took my pinkies and I held them together, and I closed my eyes, held my breath, and stood on my left foot, that it would cure the hiccups, right? <laughs> How have you been told to cure the hiccups that didn't work? It's supposed to distract you, right? It's supposed to, you know, but, but you learn that it doesn't work. You also learn that sometimes people tell you things that just aren't true. <laughs> and so when maybe they tell you something like, maybe you're at the beach, and, and maybe an older sibling says to you, did you know that the moon controls the tide? You might think, yeah, sure, right, you're pulling my leg. But you know that that's true. And, and, and as the moon goes around the earth, and as the earth ro- ro- rotates on its axis, and you see the, the ebb and flow of the tide, you begin to see that it's true, that this distant globe is affecting... The water right in front of me. How amazing that is. Maybe the first time you hear it and you think, Oh, you've got to be pulling my leg. You've got to be kidding me, right? Like like cure for the hiccups. And then you begin to see that it's true. And so when I say to you that unforgiveness in your life is like the moon affecting the tide of your emotions and your moods and can even affect the way that you're relating to the people right in front of you, like that water rising and falling. You may think, you're pulling my leg. Is this a cure for the hiccups? You're saying that forgiveness actually improves my mood. Forgiveness can actually improve the the ebb and flow of my emotions. Forgiveness can actually improve the way that I relate to the people right in front of me. Yes, I am. Holding on to it, the blame, holding on to those places of betrayal, even the small digs that you're holding on to from the week or from last year or from your family of origin. It's like that moon going around and you think, oh, I'm over it. And then here comes that person again. Right, And you just feel something in your gut well up. And you know that you're going to go to that party and that person's going to be there. And then you realize, ah, I don't want to go. Or you realize, ah, I've got I've to put my face on. Or I've got to figure out how am I going to respond to this person. And you realize the moon is coming around again. Here comes the tide. And you realize there's unfinished business. There are things on the iceberg, there's an iceberg under the waterline, and there are things on that iceberg that you need to look at and deal with. This morning, I want to say something to you that I think is going to catch you a little bit <laughs> off guard. If it doesn't, then you didn't hear it right. But I, but 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 it comes in the form of a question, and the question this morning is: How if? If people so influence you the way that the moon influences the tide, if unfinished business with people can influence you the way that the moon influences the tide, shouldn't you recognize how important it is to forgive God? Forgive God? What for? Let's take a look at Joseph's story, the end of Genesis, Genesis 50, and one of the most hopeful, redemptive uh, lines in Scripture. But first, the ramp-up to the end of of this whole uh, series of betrayals that Joseph has endured. Joseph in the Old Testament, son of, of Jacob, uh, uh, the, the The one who had the beautiful coat, the one whose father had uh, had demonstrated his special love, the one who uh, e- endured uh, being thrown into a cistern, whose brothers uh, thought of him that he was uh, arrogant, the one who had special dreams and 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 began to parade. Uh, his his special talents before his brothers and created all kinds of problems for himself. The one who was sold into slavery in Egypt. Here's the end of that whole episode. When the days of weeping for, for Jacob had, had come, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh saying, if now I have found favor in your eyes. So you remember that Joseph rose in the ranks and became really second only to Pharaoh. If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I'm about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. So he's requesting to go back to his homeland. Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up. And bury your father as he made you swear. So Pharaoh went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as the household of Joseph, his brothers, his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there... Went up with him, both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the thresh, threshing floor of, of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel-Mir-Zarim. is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him into the land of Canaan, buried him in the the cave, the field at Machpelah, and uh, the east of Mambra, where Abraham bought the field from Ephron, the Hittite, to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Let's pray together. God bless this word and us as we reflect upon it, not only that we may understand it with our minds, but believe it, receive it into our hearts and live it out through our lives in Jesus name. Amen. Forgive God? Why would I say that? Why would I say forgive God? Because we get to see Joseph's life looking backwards. We get the 2020 hindsight. We understand, but imagine Joseph, imagine you dealing with all that he faced all of the betrayals all the difficulties imagine you dealing with your next one isn't it true that we blame god now it's not that god needs to be forgiven it's not that he he's done something that deserves or requires our forgiveness but Looking forward, not in hindsight, looking forward, that's how we look at it. And I think we have to be honest with ourselves that there are times when we need to forgive God. In other words, it's not God that needs to be forgiven. It's us that need to stop blaming him. And so a couple of different ways that forgiveness brings freedom. Two different games that we play. The blame game and the comparison game. First, forgiving frees us from the blame game, the blame game. We blame. A lot of times and psychologists will tell you this, that, that the purpose of blame is to offload something, usually shame. The reason we blame is to, is to just discharge the pain that we have of shame. And so we try to find some, or, or any kind of pain. It doesn't matter what it is. If something goes wrong, have you noticed how people want to find somebody to blame? That, that there's, there's, there's a reason why we do that. Why, why do you think that people want to find someone to blame? Especially when there's a tragedy. Isn't it true it's painful to blame God? And so we want to find a a person, a human, some kind of flawed flaw in the system, something, some reason that that happens, somebody to blame so that we don't deal with the more painful thing that, that wells up within us, and that is we blame God. Because he's not running the universe the way we want him to. And if we're honest, we think that, and we have to deal with it, or it's going to slowly deal with us in the way that the moon revolves around the earth, in the way that the earth spins and it influences the tides. But forgiveness frees us from the blame game. Let let me put a little finer point on it. Now, do you all have any, the kind of furniture that moves, especially in the middle of the night? Have you, do you have that kind of furniture? I I seem to have, every piece of furniture I've ever bought, it it moves, especially in the middle of the night. So when I'm getting up to get a glass of water, or something like that, it it wasn't where I thought it was. And then I catch my toe on it, right? This never has happened to you. Okay, fine. But Maybe you can just kind of uh, vicariously experience it with me. You know, what do you do when you catch your toe on on that piece of moving furniture? You know, it's like sometimes you can deal with bigger things better than that. Right? (laughs) it's like, universe, what's wrong with you, right? What's wrong with this universe? Verse 20 is so powerful. You... Intended, intended it for harm, but God used it for good. Schuyler, at the beginning of the service, read Romans 8.28. Do you hear in Romans 8.28 a reflection on this story? That God is able to work... Not that everything is good. See, he Joseph clearly says, this, you intended this for harm, but God used it for good. Now, how is it that... That we can, can understand and make the connection between what's going on in our own minds and hearts and the need that we have to stop blaming God. Where, where's the connection there? I, I want to I give you a little illustration about, uh, about how it is that you can begin to, to be set free from the blame that you're carrying for the universe or for God. Imagine that, uh, that, that you're experiencing hurt. You're at the doctor, and you're experiencing, you, you know, the difference between hurt and harm, right? So you can go to a, a dentist, and it, it might hurt, but it's not going to harm you. You can smoke a pack of cigarettes a day for the next 30 years, and it, and it, might, not, it might not hurt, but it will harm you, right? So the, the cigarettes don't hurt. Uh, they're soothing to you if you're, if you're addicted to nicotine They're soothing to you But they don't hurt But they do harm you You go to the dentist And it might hurt But it doesn't harm Right? So imagine that you're You're, you're dealing with With a situation Where you have to Or let's, let's, let's picture a child Alright? So my mom Was a, was a cancer and he-monk, uh Nurse and, and she often had to Hold down children When they had a spinal tap That's a painful thing to have to endure, even though you're not the one who's having the needle plunged into you. There's a reason why I'm making this graphic. It's very important that you follow me in the image. It's awful, but just follow me on this. Now, there's a woman who said, there was a mom who said to, to my mother at the end of one of these procedures, I, uh, I could never do what you do. She said, well, why not? Why not? She said, I just love children too much. Oh, oh, that rubbed my mom the wrong way. It just really rubbed her. <laughs> you, know, you know, you love yourself too much because you won't endure the pain of what it, what it takes to heal that child, you see. See, in the moments where Joseph was, was so uh, distraught The scriptures say, if you read through Genesis 50, especially back into the 40s, it says says, God was with Joseph. He doesn't promise us that we're not going to experience pain. But what God does promise is that he'll be with us in that pain. And what's so difficult for us is when we're blaming God, we can't experience his presence. We don't want to. Because we would rather have a reason to blame him. We'd rather have a reason to stiff arm him and say, you know, stay away. And and so we can't experience the presence of God. The one thing that probably is is the most healing thing that you can ever experience in your life. And, And maybe the reason you're experiencing the pain that you're experiencing in your life. At the time, you think, "Well, why? Why did God let that happen?" Well, sometimes God is just there with us in a fallen world, and He doesn't want that thing to happen. But sometimes He does discipline those whom He loves. Right now, picture the spinal tap. There, there is something painful happening to a child, but for her good. How can we receive discipline from God? How can we receive the pruning that God God prunes us sometimes so that we can bear more fruit, right? Sometimes he disciplines us. Sometimes it's just a fallen world, and he just wants to be with us. And we don't believe that he cares because we're in pain and we're blaming him. You need to forgive God. Because in the process of forgiving him, you'll realize he wasn't to blame in the first place. You have to work it out in your mind and heart that this is a broken world and that he desires to draw near to the brokenhearted. That, that you might have to work out that this is self-inflicted. This is something you did to yourself. You might have to work out that, that God may have purpose in it that you can't see Yet. And looking back on your life the way that Joseph is looking back, you intended it for harm, but God used it for good. Are there places in your life where people have done things to you, they've betrayed you, and you haven't yet let God use it for good in your life because you blame him for letting it happen in the first place? You see, these are the places below the, the waterline, on the iceberg, where God God wants us to, to, to identify that really happened. It was really painful. It was really bad. It was evil. But can God use it for good? That's your next season of growth. Second game that, that brings... Uh, when we, when we step away, when we use free, uh, forgiveness to step away from the blame game, we also use freedom. We can find freedom when we step away from the comparison game. All right, so the blame game, we blame God, we're, we're looking for a scapegoat, we're avoiding the person, we're avoiding God. And we continue with this pain. It keeps us distant from him when he wants to bring his healing presence to your life. That's the blame game. But the comparison game is a little different. The comparison game is is that we're we're doing something to make ourselves feel better. The comparison game uh, comes in the form of morality, and a couple different kinds of morality. There's traditional morality and then there's sort of more modern morality. The, the old school morality and new school morality. But, but we're doing the same thing with them. And I see this happening. You, you see the traditionalists and they're, they're becoming judges. And they're saying, you know, you're not doing it the way that, 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 that we're supposed to do it. That the Bible says we're supposed to do it. That my grandparents did it. That's the right thing. That's following the rules. And, and, and so we, we begin to compare ourselves to make ourselves feel better. And rather than using blame... Uh, to discharge we're actually uh, judging and and in a way that that is kind of a blame we're blaming them for being worse than we are so that we feel better than they right and so we become the judges we put ourselves in the position of judge we make ourselves the hero of our own story and the second thing that I see, I see this happening more and more and more, is the new, sort of the new school morality, and that is that, that I find a victim, and if you don't advocate for that victim the, the way that I think you should or the way the victim thinks that you should or the way that the narrative around that victim thinks that you should, then you don't have their best interest in mind. That's a lie. That's a lie. I don't always know what's best for me right? And if I'm playing the victim, and I'm wanting you to feel sorry for me, and I want you to pity me, then I'm not in a very good place. And so you shouldn't listen. You shouldn't listen to me. You shouldn't listen to what, what I'm telling you to do. And yet, that's, that's increasingly what you see in our culture. Increasingly, we rally around. We find new victims to rally around. And what we say is, this is, this is the new standard of morality. And if you don't line up to this standard, then you, you, are, you are on the wrong side of history, You're probably a bad person. And because I'm identifying with the victim, because I'm advocating for the victim in the the way that the victim wants me to to advocate for them, I'm a good person. The comparison game. That's the comparison game. And we do this in order to make ourselves feel better rather than receiving God's forgiveness and, and doing the hard work of forgiving other people and removing ourselves from the place of judge. We compare what does Joseph say to his brothers? Am I in the place of God? You're still worried about that stuff that happened a long time ago? I mean, think, Joseph weeps out of compassion for his family. Here he has mourned his father in Egypt. Now he's gone through the traditional, uh, you know, uh, paces of taking him and his bones as they, uh, you know, you'll, you'll learn that if, if you dig a little deeper into this. You, you, the, the idea is if you die somewhere else, their tradition was to take their bones and bury them in their, their homeland. So he was going up to Canaan. And, and he was taking Joseph's bones to the place. And, and they were mourning again. And Joseph, you see him entering into the moment. What are his brothers doing? Are they free? They're worried. They're afraid. They're not able to, to grieve. They're not able to be in the moments and paces of life. How are you missing important moments in your life because you're too busy being judged? You're afraid, and so you're judging. You, might, be, you, you might, not, n- might not have the confidence of God's forgiveness, and so you're judging. We do this over and over again. Uh, on the day of 9-11, uh, maybe the day before 9-11, uh, one of the professors at, at Princeton Seminary, Miroslav Volf, he's from, he's from Croatia, he, he was at a breakfast, and he said this. And the day before 9-11, 2001... He said this, forgiveness flounders because I exclude my enemy from the community of humans. Follow me, okay? Forgiveness flounders because I exclude my enemy from the community of humans. And I exclude myself from the community of sinners. Forgiveness flounders because I exclude my enemy from the community of humans and myself from the community of sinners. He goes on, he says this, he says, When one knows, just as the cross demonstrates, that the torturer will not eternally triumph over the victim, one is free to rediscover that a person's humanity... That one is free to discover a person's humanity... And when one knows that God's love is greater than all sin, one is free to see oneself in the light of God's justice and rediscover our own sinfulness. See, that's freedom. I don't have to be the judge. I don't have to be the detective. I don't have to wonder what my brother's motives are. That's Joseph. He's free from all that. Are you walking around judging everyone? Then you're carrying something that needs to be Finished business and not unfinished business. Are you walking around and you're playing detective? What did they mean by that? What were their motives? You're a slave to something in your life that needs to be addressed, needs to be reframed the way Joseph reframed all of the past history. Am I your judge? No, I'm not. I've long since forgiven you, he says. And as a result, he's able to live his life Free to mourn, to grieve the loss of his father. Free to enter into the moment. Free to be compassionate towards the very people that betrayed him. That's a powerful freedom. Don't you want that freedom? To be able to look into the face of your accusers and say forgive them father for they know not what they do. That's a hero. Let's pray together. Holy God how we thank you for your love that conquers all and we pray that In these closing moments, that as as each one of us has been reflecting on our own lives and betrayals and foibles and weaknesses, the ways that we've hurt ourselves, the ways that we've been hurt, that you would help us to reframe those episodes, that we would embrace your forgiveness, that would fill our cup to fill others. We would have something to give, compassion, kindness, forgiveness.